Hi folks, Andres here. We want to help you learn all about Barcelona. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Barcelona guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge. You can get any question answered by real people here in Barcelona. Where does CFC Barca play? How to use a metro? Where to eat a delicious seafood paella on the beach right now? We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. And who knows, you might even get to talk to me. For limited time, the Circa Travel app is completely free. Get it in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Circa. In this, the first episode in a two-part series, we will be listing a lot of players, people, and incredible things in the city and in the history of Barcelona Football Club. Before we get started, it's important to note, yes, this is an episode about a sports team, but like the food and the architecture of Barcelona, the story of the city and its character can be told through this team. This is an episode about how passion can change a place, and nothing in Barcelona inspires more passion than its football team. There are many sporting places, monuments, sites, and experiences here. So we're going to tell you a lot, but don't worry. There will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in these guide episodes in the Circa app. So whether you're in Barcelona to see Barca play, or would just like to learn all about a place in a sporting history that shaped the city, welcome. This is what we do. So just sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy the ride. Bisca Barça. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it. It's nine in the evening, anywhere in Barcelona. Maybe you're strolling one of the city's many long ramblers, or block after block of cafes and stores. Maybe you're in the winding streets of Elborn. Maybe you're taking in the last sun in Barceloneta late on a summer's day. You almost don't notice the hum of the traffic and the bustle and chatter on the terraces. But suddenly, through the white noise of the city, something happens. The sound of a roar of people rises like a wave through the buzz of everything. A monumental, rousing cheer. Cars honk their horns, people run to their balconies, scarves in hand, above you, and scream, Goal! Somebody, somewhere, has just scored for Football Club Barcelona. Even miles from Camp Nou, Barcelona's home ground in the neighborhood of Les Cortes, football is loud, enveloping, and unavoidable. 
It's always in the air. It's endlessly discussed. And on occasion, even the most casual fan of Barca may stand you up on game night. When people say Barca, they don't mean Barcelona. That's Barna. Barca refers to only one thing, the city's football team. Oh, and please, please, don't call it soccer here, ever. Since its inception in 1899, this team has revolutionized the beautiful game. After the Dallas Cowboys and New York City's Knicks and Yankees, Little FC Barca is, according to Forbes, the fourth most lucrative sports team on earth. And it's considered the world's richest football club in a city of barely two million people. Football in Europe is a truly giant, staggering, beloved thing. Dmitry Shostakovich, the Soviet composer, called it the ballet of the masses. And it's a ballet with no shortage of drama. On this continent, there are 37 professional football leagues and more than 1,000 clubs spread across 30 countries. In the 365 days that it takes our little planet to make one trip around the sun, more than 875 days of football are played. And those numbers don't include cups, tournaments, international matches, regional games, B and C teams, youth clubs, or women's football. Oh, and also, that's just in Europe. Basically, if you're in Barcelona at any time, but mostly and most importantly, between August and May, chances are you'll be in town for a top-level match. In Spain, the Premier teams play in La Liga. The city will be alive with Barca fans. The hallowed ground of Camp Nou, the home of the team, will be buzzing. Electric. But FC Barcelona is much more than a club. In fact, that's their motto. Miss Kung Club. In this episode of our Guide to Barcelona, we will look at how this little city became home to one of the most powerful sporting teams in the world. We'll tell you all about its biggest setbacks and stars, some of which you may have never heard of, some of which you would never believe. But most importantly, we'll show you the ultimate places and ways to experience football in a city where the beautiful game is more than just a sport. Because as we've learned over the years here, to know the history of Barca is to know the history of Barna. Hans Gamper and the humble beginnings of Barca. It's 1898, and it's an insane year for Spain. The country was at an all-time low. A peace deal was in the works with the United States to end the American-Spanish War, a deal which would end 400 years of Spanish presence in the Americas. Its once vast overseas empire would be toppled. Cuba became independent. Puerto Rico and Guam were handed over to the United States, and then the Philippines Islands were bought from Spain for $20 million. The 1st of January, 1899. Spain may have lost its empire, but Barcelona was, at the time, the country's fastest-growing industrial city. It had become a major player in the textile industry, and its ever-expanding ports saw the city doing good business. But it was also under heavy construction. The creation of the Eixample district was underway, a huge plan to join together the port city with Vildegracia to the east by building a controversial city block system 
which would absorb the towns around the walled city. A walled city which was growing increasingly intense and filled with disease. Despite the conditions, the population of Barcelona was growing at an unprecedented rate. Entrepreneurs and wheelers and dealers arrived to the city in droves. One such wide-eyed businessman was a 22-year-old Hans Gamper, a tall, handsome figure, wide-shouldered and clean-shaven, a lover of all sports, a keen cyclist and runner, and already a known entity and a great player in his real passion, football. He stopped in Barcelona en route to see his uncle on the way to Africa to open a sugar trading company. But Barcelona captivated Gamper, and he never left. In the boom, industry, art, and opportunity seemed just around the corner. But something else also caught his eye. Barcelona had no football club. The game had been brought by English tradesmen and sailors to Spain almost a decade earlier and it was very slowly gaining popularity as a spectator sport. The first organized match of football was in fact played in Seville on March the 8th, 1890, at the Tablada Hippodrome. Recreativo de Huelva played a mixed team of workers from a nearby waterworks. Around a thousand people watched. Even nine years later, there were no official cups or competitions. Only a handful of teams existed around the country, games were played in strange places with no football pitches. It's strange to think of this now, but most people in Spain had no idea football even existed. Gamper searched for players, for friends. A childhood dream of starting a football club was reimagined and rekindled. But Gamper had to start from scratch, literally. There wasn't a set of goalposts in the whole city. Between work, he found a small group of friends through playing football in Bonanova a neighborhood set underneath Tibidabo, the cathedral-topped mountain to the east of the city. In October of 1899, Gamper would place an advert in a local paper he worked for as a journalist named Los Deportes, looking for players to form an official team. And on the 29th of the month, he met the advert's responders at the Sole Gymnasium to form the club that would change the world. It wasn't just the club. It was to be a democracy, a club owned by its members, which it still is to this day. The team was made up of players from Switzerland, England, Germany, and Catalonia. FC Barca was up and running and kicking. Soon to join were the witty brothers, Arthur and Ernest, who had played tennis with Gamper. They used their sporting contacts in the UK to supply the club with balls, whistles, nets, and goalposts. Legend also has it that the brothers imported their old rugby team's colours to the club's now infamous kit and flag, the Blaugrana. During the first decade of the team's existence, finding space to play was a huge challenge. They moved four times. The city was booming and green spaces were quickly eaten up due to architect Ildefon Cerda's impressive an insanely huge city overhaul. For the first year, the former cycle track grounds in Bonanova was the home of the club. It's next to Turo Park. There today you'll find cylindrical hedges, kids' playgrounds, shade, fountains and lakes, and some nice views out over the city from its highest point. You can bring a picnic and take in the city knowing that this is where the club began. The following year, the team moved to the Hotel Casanova's grounds. 
Nowadays, that's where you'll find the beautiful Hospital de la Santa Creu y San Pau, a city within a city. These 12 beautiful pavilions are set in a sprawling garden and interconnected by a mile of underground galleries. It is the world's largest Art Nouveau complex and the most important work by Luis Domenech y Montané, the father of Catalan Art Nouveau. It's criminally overlooked by visitors, but it is totally worth a visit. Check out our episode on the architecture of Barcelona in this guide to hear more about the beautiful buildings in this city. It's 1902. England's Football League, now the Premier League, was in its 15th season. Sheffield Wednesday beat Aston Villa by one measly point to take the championship. This is the same year Barca won its first major trophy, the Copa Macaya. In a few short years, the team had started to make a name for themselves. The sports popularity was growing, and that year, Real Madrid were founded, Barcelona's sporting nemesis to be. But more on that later. Back to Hans and Barcelona. Hans Gamper played 51 games for FC Barcelona between 1899 and 1903, and he scored over 100 goals. He would end up being club president at five different times in his life, steering and supporting it both on and off the field. By 1908, he was a fluent Catalan speaker, going by his adopted name, Juan. And he had moved into the role of club president for the first time. Although the team was doing well and their support was growing, they had serious financial worries and debts, a problem which would continue to plague the club. Gambit turned on his charm and got help and money from local businesses to move to the 2,000-capacity Camp de la Industria. It was at 224 Calle Vila Domat in the Echample district. Between 1908 and 1916, the seating grew to 6,000, but more and more fans kept coming. The place was well over capacity every match. So much so, the supporters would be sitting on the wall surrounding the ground, hoping to get a glimpse of the game. Passers-by were treated to lines and lines of people's asses peering over the edge of the wall. Barca fans garnered the nickname Cules in Catalan, the asses. Proudly, they are still called that to this day. Around this time, the official language of FC Barca moved from Spanish to Catalan, and with regional pride swelling for the team in Catalonia, Gamper pushed for more club members. Barca boomed. The president signed a 15-year-old football genius named Paulino Alcantara. You may not recognize his name, but he held the club's goal-scoring record until a little-known player called Leo Messi took it from him in 2014. But we'll get to that. Back in 1917, Gamper brought in Jack Greenwell, a Brit, as manager. Along with Alcántara, they signed Ricardo Zamora, Giuseppe Samitier, Félix Sesumaga, and Franz Platko. The four of them went on to become all-time club legends. During this period, Barcelona won 11 Campeonats de Catalunya, six Copa del Rey trophies, and four Coup de Pyrenees. And by 1922, they had more than 20,000 members. Once again, a new stadium was needed. Hi, everyone. Circa's recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world, 
Real people on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Civil War Years. Les Cortes, a then underdeveloped district to the east of the city, had the space that the club needed for the new stadium. In 1922, the area was just old Macias. Those are traditional Catalan farmhouses and fields. If you go there now, it's a pretty imposing financial district with a bunch of good hotels, wide boulevards, restaurants, and shopping malls scattered between banks and gardens. And of course, the Camp Nou, the home ground of modern-day Barça. Les Cortes has the city's two biggest maternity hospitals, La Maternidad and De Cheos. Anne has one of the city's most important cemeteries, where many of the club's former players now rest. Camp Nou sits right in the middle. For this reason, it's often joked that Barca play between life and death. They have done that in this neighborhood of Les Cortes for more than a hundred years. But before we get to Camp Nou, we need to talk about their fifth ground in 23 years. Camp Les Cortes was opened and inaugurated in 1922 with a game against Scottish team St. Mirren. From that day on, it seemed like this was to be the first golden era of the club. Barcelona was thought of at that time to be the most turbulent city in the Mediterranean. It was still overcrowded, but still somehow booming. Musical theatre and cabaret had arrived, and Avenida Paralel, Barcelona's Broadway on the edge of the Raval, was then the most debaucherous place in the city if not the country. The time and the circumstances brought exceptional artistic and architectural creativity. The 1920s saw the first of the Sagrada Familia's cathedral spires reach up into the sky. Pablo Picasso, Salvador Dalí, and Juan Miró were all in Barcelona after their time in Paris. They would of course go on to dazzle Spanish and international art lovers. Much like the 1920s, FC Barcelona roared too. From 1922 to 1925, Gamper watched his team, the team he had created, the team he loved, pack fans into the Camp de les Cortes. So much so that the stadium needed expanding. Again. Meanwhile, in Madrid, the man in charge was Miguel Primo. De Rivera, an aristocratic mustachioed dictator who believed his politicians had ruined the country and that they should be abolished. Why do these dudes always have mustaches? Though his slogan was country, religion, monarchy, his utter incompetence with people from each of those categories saw tensions in Spain flare. His son, José, later founded the Fascist Party of Spain, which would ultimately lead to the rise of Francisco Franco and the Spanish Civil War in 1936. 
This is just a tiny setup for what would be one of the most horrific chapters in the country's history. While you're here, if you want to learn more about the region's past, you can do so for free at the Catalan History Museum on the port near Barceloneta. And be sure to check out our episode on the city during the Civil War in this guide. So, back to football. In 1925, Barça were on a roll. Their fame and popularity just couldn't be contained. Things were looking great, until one moment changed everything. The tensions between Spain and Catalonia were heating up. The region's language was being stifled by Primo's Spain. Barcelona's famed architect Gaudí had recently been beaten by police at a demonstration for speaking Catalan. On the 24th of June, 1925, a stadium full of mostly Catalan FC Barcelona fans booed the Spanish national anthem in the lead-up to the game. Then, they applauded the British national anthem, God Save the Queen. There was outrage, and the dictatorship tried to destroy Gampa for promoting Catalan nationalism. This court stadium was closed for six months as punishment, and Gampa was forced out. Over the next five years, Rivera and his goons made sure that Gampa was silenced. He lost everything, his team, his mind, and all his money gambling foolishly on Wall Street stocks. The USA, and by proxy the rest of the world, were plunged into the Great Depression. And on the 30th of July, 1930, Gamper committed suicide. Just like that, the man who built Barça was gone. Two years later, in October 1932, the team's official newsletter contained these words. Our club's popularity undeniably includes elements that are not related to sport. The club was always committed to social, political, and cultural reform. The organization itself was legally classified not as a sports team, but as a, quote, cultural and sporting association. Often the motto sport and citizenship was bandied about too. The Catalan independence movement, which is still fighting for secession from Spain now, gets mixed up with the fans of the team. Politics and football are forever intertwined. And there's a reason for that. By 1936, FC Barcelona was in trouble. Political upheaval and discussion were the order of the day, and things were looking dire. Football struggled to draw crowds, and club members had dropped from nearly 20,000 at their peak in the late 20s down to a measly 5,000. Then, on July 17, 1936, the Spanish Civil War began. The fighting is bitter. Men fall by the hundreds as Madrid struggles for survival. Franco, transferred to Morocco early in 1936 for allegedly anti-Republican sentiments, has stirred his adherents to all-out civil war. Scenes of wreckage are everywhere. A church in flames, stark signal of the fire that besets the nation. Generals Emilio Mola and Francisco Franco launched a right-wing uprising aimed at overthrowing the country's democratically elected republic. The coup failed, and the war began. France and the UK rejected calls for help. 
So Franco instead went to fascist Italy and Nazi Germany for support. And he got it. In hindsight, for most of the world, the Spanish Civil War looked like a test run for World War II. Franco preached unification, and the Catalans and Basques, who also wanted separation from Spain, were direct targets. If Spain was to be united, there could be only one language, one identity, under church and crown. The president of FC Barcelona at the outbreak of the war was a very vocal journalist, lawyer, and pro-independence supporter named Josep Suñol. The dwindling members put their faith in him because of his reputation as a fundraiser. Their instinct was right, and Suñol would miraculously close the 1935-1936 season at a considerable profit. Early in the war, in August of 36, Suñol traveled to Madrid to visit Republican anti-Franco troops. He had driven from Valencia in the country's southeast and was stopped in Sierra de Guadarrama to the north of Madrid, where he was identified by Francoist soldiers at a checkpoint. Josep Suñol, the president of the Catalan team and some colleagues were taken from their car and shot dead on the side of the road. The killing caused an uproar in the city and was a prelude for one of the most difficult periods in the club's and the country's history. In 1937, with La Liga suspended, Republican regions formed the Mediterranean League and the Free Spain Cup, mostly held in the strongholds of Valencia and Barcelona. If the league was going to be banned, then the teams would make their own. A sporting resistance. The culture was threatened. The Catalan language may have been taken along with their beloved football team. In fact, throughout the war and the dictatorship, which would last until 1975, Camp de les Cortes and later the Camp Nou would be the only places outside the home where Catalans could freely speak their language. Football was a literal refuge from politics, never separated from it. In March 1938, Italian dictator Benito Mussolini decided of his own accord to bomb Barcelona in order to, quote, weaken the morale of the Reds. 44 tons of explosives were dropped on Barcelona from the air for two days. It is considered the first carpet bombing from the air in history. 1,500 people were killed and more than 2,000 people were wounded. No military targets were chosen. It was an act of pure, randomized terror. The Italian foreign minister and Mussolini's own son-in-law, Galeazzo Ciano, said he was pleased by the fact that the Italians have managed to provoke horror by their aggression instead of complacency with their mandolins. This will send up our stock in Germany, where they love total and ruthless war. In the bombings, one of the many buildings hit was FC Barcelona's clubhouse and office at 331 Conseil de Sint in the Echample district. A bomb destroyed half of the building. Five people died. The doorman, Josep Cubéis, did something miraculous. Over the two days of bombings, while Barcelona was in shock, bruised and bloodied, risking life and limb, he methodically rescued all of the memorabilia and paperwork he could. Along with everything he pulled from the rubble were the pieces of almost 300 trophies and medals won by the club. Cubéis, the doorman, never scored for Barca. He never saved a penalty, but he single-handedly saved more than 40 years of history 
for one of the greatest football teams in history. Recently, the pieces of the trophies that Kubel salvaged were melted down to form one trophy called Everyone's Cup. And you can see it in the Barcelona FC Museum at Camp Nou in Les Courts. In many ways, it's the most beautiful cup in the building. Oh, and in case you were wondering, after the bombing, and although the team had been forced to change their name to a Spanish translation, remove their language and the Catalan flag from their crest, the football never stopped. Eleven days after the bombing, Barcelona whooped Manresa 10-1 in the Catalan League. Not even a civil war could stop the beautiful game. Almost exactly a year later, in March of 39, Franco took Madrid, after capturing Asturias, and the Basque Country, and Catalonia. The war was over, but the Franco dictatorship began. El Clásico and Match Day. Rivalry in sport is no new thing. Yankees, Red Sox, Lakers, Celtics, Ali, Frazier, Man City, Man United. But the Barcelona-Madrid thing is something else. The biggest rivalry in football took a while to heat up, but the Civil War intensified this clash almost beyond sanity. This rivalry, these games, they're called El Clásico. La Copa del Rey, or the King's Cup, is the most fierce tournament in the country. It's considered the most prestigious in the sport. And when Barca plays Real Madrid in this cup, it's a sight to see. And the game that cemented the clash of these titans was in 1943. And it was a doozy. Politics and sport would be forever linked. The Madrid team arrives in Barcelona with tensions at an all-time high. The reception from the culés, the Catalan fans, was not friendly. The fact that the cup had been renamed the General's Cup in honor of Franco probably didn't help. In a best-of-two setup, Barcelona beat Madrid 3-0 at home in the first game. Madrid contested all three goals. Fans jeered each other on either side. Both cities' papers wrote scurrilous lies in the lead-up and aftermath, and all players roughhoused their way through 90 minutes. For the second match, with fears of trouble, Barcelona fans were banned from traveling to Madrid. The team was insulted outside their hotel, and their bus was pelted with rocks as it passed through the city. Barcelona's penalty area was covered in coins thrown at players warming up five minutes before the game had even started. Mainly a warning to striker Ramon Mendoza. At the other end of the field, goalkeeper Luis Miro was pelted with stones. The Madrid fans came loaded. A visibly shaken Barca team and a terrified referee watched Madrid score eight goals against them before halftime. In the second half, Madrid bagged three more before Barcelona potted a measly goal in the 89th minute. This 10-goal defeat is still the biggest in the history of El Clásico. 
But the scoreline of the game is often overshadowed by rumors that some top brass from the Spanish army had busted into the Barcelona locker room right before the game. Perhaps a threat that the team had to take seriously. We'll never know. What we do know is that this game cemented arguably the biggest rivalry in club football. That's why heading to the Camp Nou now to see the two Titans slug it out is just incredible. So before we carry on with the epic story of Barca, let's take a moment to tell you exactly how to do match day right in this city. FC Barcelona's home ground since 1957 is currently the largest stadium in Europe at just under 100,000 capacity. A regular La Liga game at Camp Nou can be as little as 30 euros for the cheap seats. If you're here for El Clasico, tickets can be really hard to get. For Barça Real Madrid, you'd be lucky to find one for under 300 euros. If you can't get a ticket but are still raring for a serious matchup, matches against local rival Espanyol can be just as electric. A good tip for a cheaper ticket is to avoid being up high on the halfway line for a good view of the game and get a ticket right behind the goals with the lunatic culés. Those are Barcelona's most die-hard fans. You can try your luck at the official FC Barcelona site. Book in advance, online. Keep in mind that most games are played Wednesday and Sunday, but can sometimes be moved a day back or a day forward. Keep your eye on any changes in the run-up to match day at LaLiga.es. Get to the ground early and soak in the obsession of the fans. There's a full block of shopping and attractions inside the gate, plus an excellent official shop for all your Barca souvenirs. Or book a ticket to the Barcelona FC Museum on the day of the game and take it easy till kickoff. A tour of the museum and the stadium is around 25 euros. You can also get the VIP treatment for 120. With this, you'll experience the locker rooms, get on the pitch, have pro photos of your tour taken, and take home a personalized Barca shirt. Head to Travesera del Escorts for a pre-game snack and beer. There are tons of places to eat. Just look for where the locals are. Don't worry, you'll see them. Head in and find your seat early. The atmosphere in Camp Nou for these games is buzzing. And the feeling as the crowd grows is goosebump-inducing. I took my dad to a game a few years ago, and we saw Messi score a hat-trick. It can be an expensive day, but experiencing something like that is a once-in-a-lifetime moment. But don't worry, if you're unlucky on the ticket front, we've got you covered. There are some great places to sit with the people and watch the game in the streets and bars of the city. There's almost nothing that will make you feel more like a local than watching Barca play with a bar full of fans. The classic is Barrio Part in the neighborhood of Sants. Here, you'll find Formica tables, slot machines, foosball tables, and tournaments, one-year-old beers, and colorful local characters. Game day is loud, cheap, fast, and great fun. A surreal legend claims that Barney from The Simpsons left Moe's in Springfield to drink here. A mural in his honor adorns the metal shutter which closes the bar at 3 a.m. For a bigger room, head to Coco Vale on Arago in the Eschampla. It's an American beer hall with a huge bar and grill, six TVs and hundreds of craft and local beers. 
They are sports fanatics and screen NFL, NHL, baseball, tennis, and as many pro league football games as they can. They also do 16 different flavors of wings, huge burgers, and poke bowls. Lastly, La Taberna de Barcelona en Ronda Universitat. This Catalan tavern is a big party bar for international fans. Big beers, big plates of food, and all the big games broadcast live from Camp Nou. In Barcelona, watching the game with 100,000 people can't always be done. But if you do find yourself inside Camp Nou, it's worth remembering that the player who necessitated the building of this place, the continent's biggest stadium, has one of the greatest stories of any football player in history. Thanks for listening to part one of our story on FC Barcelona. The second part is available for you right now if you're a subscriber to Circa, and it continues one of the craziest stories in the history of football. Remember to download the Circa app for pictures and maps and notes on the places in this episode. Maybe you'll want to check out our guides for London, Costa Rica, Paris, and many more, and many more to come. Or you could just listen to the second part of this FC Barca story right now. Go on. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. <laughs>